0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore, from WBEZ.
1: Not long after 1900, farmers up and down the Illinois River began to notice something troubling. Their once fertile land was growing soggy. The river was spilling over its banks and across their fields. Sometimes they couldn't plant their crops at all. When they could, they were far less productive. These central Illinois farmers blamed Chicago, specifically the reversal of the Chicago River. Nearly 300 landowners claimed the dirty water now flowing downstream and into the Illinois River was drowning their crops and threatening their way of life. In Eureka, Illinois, about 100 miles southwest of Chicago, three sisters, Clara, Emily, and Medora Hunter, sued the Sanitary District of Chicago for $40,000. Clara took the stand. She described one flooded field as a, quote, frog ranch. Tell the jury what now grows on the remainder of this 160 acres. Buckbrush, flags, waterweeds, cattails. I don't know the names of the grasses. Sawgrass, I suppose? Swamp vegetation in general? Swamp vegetation, yes. Have you noticed any drift of any kind? I have. I've seen great logs that have laid there until they seem to have rotted. Rails, pieces of boat, fish boats, timbers, weeds, fishnets. The The Hunter Sisters' trial dragged on for 34 days. In the end, they walked away with $6,000. Hardly what they asked for, but a small win. And yet what swamped so many farmers downstream brought prosperity to Chicago. Today, the blue-green water of Lake Michigan winds its way through a canyon of glass and steel. The Chicago River is one of the most visited landmarks in the city. And Eric Seidelman of Glen Ellen marvels at that river when he comes downtown on the weekends. I caught up with Eric on the river walk. He said he's always wondered about the river's reversal and its impacts.
0: I'd never really heard of rivers changing direction and the environmental effects that would have, how
1: that would affect the new downstream, whichever that would be. So it inspired him to approach Curious City with a question. What was the environmental cost of reversing the direction of the Chicago River? So off I went looking for answers. And it turns out the Hunter sisters' problems were just one of many consequences of reversing the Chicago River. It affected and continues to affect the Great Lakes, the Mississippi River, and even the Gulf of Mexico. To understand all of this, let's start with the basics.
0: You know, everything with the river in some way or another goes back to poop in the water. What? Poop in the water. That's Josh Mogerman. And I'm the National Media Director at the Natural Resources Defense Council, or NRDC. Before White Settlement,
1: the Chicago River was wildly different. The river was shallow and snaked through a marshy borderland between prairie and forest before finally reaching the lake. Chicago's location helped it boom as a commercial hub. But amidst all that growth, the city's river began to look and smell more like a massive gutter. We literally lifted Chicago out of the swamp and we built sewers and directed them straight to the river. That's Margaret Frisbee. She's executive director of the Friends of the Chicago River. She says it's difficult to imagine just how polluted the river had become by the late 1800s. Just think about, like, if all your sewage, all your waste, all the carcasses, we were using horses, and they were pooping in the streets, and that was ending up in the river, and chickens, and, you know, it just really was like this kind of miasmal swamp mess. And, of course, at that time, the river flowed out into Lake Michigan, which was the source of our drinking water. It was making Chicagoans sick. In 1885, that drinking water got particularly nasty after a violent storm belched a huge plume of sewage into the lake. It inspired civic leaders to propose a radical solution, reversing the river and sending our shit the other way. So how does one reverse a river? Well, just southwest of Chicago, there's a geographic high point. It's like a ridge. On one side, all the water drains toward the Mississippi River. On the other side, water drains toward the lake engineers figured if they could dig a canal from the Chicago River down through that ridge and into the Des Plaines River, then gravity would pull the water westward and towards the Mississippi, directing our poop away from the lake. And the point of the canal was twofold. Not only would it fix Chicago's sewage problem, it would also connect Chicago with markets downstate and beyond. And it worked. One local newspaper at the time called it, quote, the greatest engineering enterprise in world history. Dick Lanyon is the former executive director of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. It's what we call the sanitary district today. He says the results here in the city were immediate and unmistakable.
0: Suddenly the Chicago River became clean. Uh, It didn't smell anymore. It was like a miracle occurred here.
1: But downstream, the effects were far less refreshing.
0: In time, and I mean about 10 years, it took for the sewage solids to moved downriver, began to destroy the ecology of the Illinois River.
1: Which brings us back to Eric's original question about the environmental costs. Remember the Hunter sisters? The influx of water from Lake Michigan and Chicago's sewage nearly doubled the size of the Illinois River. It eroded its banks and swallowed farmland like theirs up and down the Illinois Valley. But farmers in central Illinois weren't the only ones who bore the brunt of Chicago's sanitary solution. Because the water didn't stop there, It flowed into the Mississippi and beyond. Here again, Josh Mogerman with the NRDC.
0: If you think about what we managed to do with that uh, reversal, the Gulf of Mexico became our toilet. In 1900, Missouri
1: filed suit against the Sanitary District on behalf of St. Louis, arguing the reversal would pollute the Mississippi River, the source of its own drinking water. Mogerman says it's easy to understand their complaint.
0: If you're in Chicago, this booming city, one of the fastest-growing cities on the planet, uh, it makes a ton of sense. If you're in Peoria or you're in St. Louis, man, it looks like a really bad idea. A wave of poo coming down from this giant metropolis is something to be less enthusiastic about. The case was eventually
1: dismissed. It didn't help that St. Louis sent its own waste downstream. Then, around 1920, Chicago and other cities began treating their sewage. But the technology was primitive, and it wasn't until passage of the Clean Water Act in 1972 that our rivers really began to recover. And environmental groups say the work is hardly finished. When heavy rains flood the system, it overflows, and untreated sewage still gets into the river. Even when the system works as designed, our treated wastewater, which is pumped into the river, contains a lot of phosphorus. Scientists have only recently begun to recognize the connection between this phosphorus and the algae blooms causing the dead zone in the
0: Gulf. Here's Josh Mogerman. Essentially, you have these algal blooms that suck all of the oxygen out of the water and make a state-sized area of the Gulf uninhabitable for marine life. Um, Some years it's the size of Rhode Island, some years it's the size of Connecticut. To be clear agriculture is by far the major culprit.
1: But Chicago's wastewater, which only heads in that direction thanks to the reversal, is one of the largest single sources of phosphorus pollution in the Gulf. According to Lanian and the MWRD, well, yeah, duh.
0: Well, why is Chicago the biggest source? Well, it's the biggest city in the Mississippi River watershed. It's pretty obvious, you know.
1: But Mogerman says the impact of Chicago's sewage
0: doesn't just harm the Gulf, this isn't something where uh, we make a mess in Chicago and it just comes out at the other end in the Gulf of Mexico. We see algal blooms in the Illinois River, in the Des Plaines River, um, the whole way down. The MWRD
1: has been steadily working to cut its discharge levels over the past decade. And in 2017, it agreed to a settlement with a host of environmental groups that will significantly cut its phosphorus output by 2030. But the problems don't end with Phosphorus. If Chicago's contribution to the dead zone is news to you, perhaps you've heard of the Asian carp. The invasive fish first escaped their containment ponds in Alabama in the early 70s. And by the 90s, they were eating and breeding their way up the Mississippi, eliminating native species and disrupting ecosystems. They're now just outside of Chicago, and many are fearing the worst.
0: Generally, the nightmare scenario is the total destruction of the
1: environmental and economic way of life that the Great Lakes provides for the people of the Great Lakes region. That's Joel Brammeyer. He's the president and CEO of the Alliance for the Great Lakes. He points out that commercial and sport fishing are both major industries in parts of the Great Lakes. Not only do the Asian carp actually uh, undermine the ecology, um, they cause huge economic damage. So of course, when they eat all the food out of the water and they breed better than any other fish, that totally undermines the native fishery that those tourism economies are depending on. Keep in mind that in reversing the Chicago River, we also connected two of the world's largest freshwater ecosystems, the Great Lakes and the Mississippi Basin, creating a pathway not just for hungry Asian carp, but a host of other invasive species too. The Alliance for the Great Lakes and others have actually floated the equally bold idea of blocking the canal and re-reversing the Chicago River, basically putting it back the way it used to be. The surest way to stop... Critters from moving back and forth between these watersheds is to stop water from moving back and forth. A permanent barrier would stop Asian carp from reaching the lake and prevent the invasives already in the lakes from reaching the Mississippi. But re-reversing the river would recreate the problem Chicago was trying to solve in the first place. What we discharge into the river is still far too polluted to mix with our drinking supply. Here's Dick Lanyon again, formerly with the MWRD.
0: Well, it's a very novel idea not very practical. You know, we've changed the basic plumbing here in Chicago, and to reverse that would be a Herculean task.
1: And one that would cost, according to the Army Corps of Engineers, upwards of $18 billion. That's billion with a B. In other words, don't hold your breath. On the other hand, if we did it once... (laughs) As far as Eric's question, well, reversing the river definitely had impacts on farmers downstream, on the Gulf of Mexico, and it could potentially open the door to Asian carp in the Great Lakes someday soon. Josh Mogerman says Chicagoans admiring the gently flowing current today probably aren't thinking about where that water's going.
0: We see the river every day. We don't think of it as this engineering marvel. We don't think of this as, you know, a wonder of the world. But that's what reversing a river is. Uh, when, you, when you take a river and you make it flow the other way, you've done something monumental. And I think most Chicagoans have no idea the impact uh, that this act has, has had for the city in the past and continues to have moving forward. And, and we'll be grappling with those impacts uh, for another century for sure. Some say with age that our purpose comes clear. I see the opposite happening.
1: Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. I'm Carson Vaughn.
0: Are we growing backwards with time?
1: Hey, Jesse Dukes here, Curious City's audio producer. And I want to tell you about an event that's coming up that we're really excited about. WBEZ is hosting a special podcast passport event on November 1st with Nigel Poor and Erlon Woods, co-hosts of the award-winning podcast Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. In case you don't already know the show, it's one of my favorites. Ear Hustle brings you the daily realities of life inside prison, shared by those living it, and stories from the outside post-incarceration. Reset host Jen White will moderate a conversation between Nigel and Erlon at the Studebaker Theater about Ear Hustle's unique origin story and surprising evolution over four seasons. Tickets are going fast. Get yours now at wbez.org slash events.
0: Next time on Curious City. In Chicago, if your bike is stolen, it's often gone for good. But there are places to look for it. Craigslist, Facebook, or actual flea markets, where it helps to play cool until the cops show up. I just, like, turned the corner and there it was. And I, like, couldn't keep a straight face. Because I'm, like, trying to be slick about it. Like, I'm not looking for my bike. But there it was. Why so many bikes are stolen and how you might sometimes be able to track one down. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City.